Welcome to the Sheila Kamu Extractive Podcast. Uh, I'm pleased today to welcome Mukasiri Sibanda. Mukasiri is a Zimbabwean and he is STE Consortium Coordinator in that country. The consortium is the steering arm of the campaign for fights for fiscal and social economic justice through the lens of tax, rent, trade and investment. He is a socioeconomic justice activist and blogger. Before joining the consortium, he worked with Tax Justice Network Africa on tax and natural resource governance matters. He also worked with the Zimbabwe Environmental Law Association as an economic governance advisor. Mukasiri, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thanks, Sheila, for the invitation, and I'm, pri- I'm I'm privileged and happy to be part of this conversation. Right. What what I wanted us to do, especially given your interest in uh, fiscal policy and the extent to which it helps achieve uh, socioeconomic justice, I wanted us to focus in the area of public finance and public finance administration. But just to be sure, we are on the same page. What do we mean by public finance? So public finance, generally, we're talking a broad range of uh, issues that revolves around how government um, or governments mobilize resources, um, allocate those resources, spend those resources, and account for those resources, not only in terms of making sure that every dollar or cent is accounted for, but in terms of also the development impact of the expenditure. So basically, that's what it denotes public finance, and more so in the sense that you can look at it from the whole budget uh, cycle generally to say how um, we relate to the budget formulation, the budget execution, the budget accounting and reporting, and also the performance evaluation through audit. I think that that's broadly speaks to uh, public finance as well as the management part of it. So that's very interesting because my sense is that most people think of the mobilization and the budget oversight, but very few then extend it to the aspect of impact because you don't mobilize or spend for the sake of mobilizing and spending. You mobilize for purposes of impact. Tell me, in your mind or in your observation, how much attention is paid to the impact aspect? Yeah, I think this is something that 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 becomes very tricky, um, and 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 normally that that one value for money is something that is not paid particular attention to, um, but ultimately, what we say when we talk about fruitless and wasteful expenditure, it's also about impact. Um, we must understand like what the UK audit um, commission in twenty nineteen uh, in 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 two thousand and nine. Um, defined what good governance when it comes to public financial management is. You must, that that is doing the right thing in the right way for the right people at the right time in a, in, in, in a timely, in a, sorry, in, in a very inclusive, um, accountable, open manner. So this is very important. But unfortunately, I think this is a bit problematic in terms of value for money. Yeah, so... You know, everything you have said, Makasir, makes a lot of sense. But also, I can't help thinking, boy, that's a tall order. Because what you're asking 
essentially our governments is to take all those boxes. How feasible do you think it is given limitations of first of all capacity, but also the, the always difficult balance between uh, administering for the sake of national benefit and administering for the sake of uh, political uh, success. How feasible is it that we can reasonably expect all of those boxes to be ticked? Yeah, so we, we, we need to look at, uh, I think, things generally from, 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 from um, uh, the, the four approaches to political economy, uh, how we can dissect it with public financial management generally. Uh, structurally, um, what are the things that we can be uh, cognizant of that no matter what we do here, because of the broken global economic and financial architecture, um, you find that African governments generally, when it comes to mobilizing resources to finance development through illicit financial flows, through prohibitive debt costs, um, and, and, and generally the unequal exchange that, that exists, that Africa must provide raw materials for um, value aid in um, developed economies and then import finished products. So that equation makes it really difficult when it comes to mobilization of finance um, for develop, development finance, if that is not addressed. So from a structural point of view, historically, and where we are now again, um, which is very important to understand, why are we here as Africans and having these difficulties? And the third point is about the politics that is involved. I think today we have got room to massively improve the way we do things, the politics, making sure that um, we are, we are more democratic, we are more open, we are more accountable, and we um, pay particular attention to public participation and understand that we are the stewards and we should win public confidence and trust in the manner that, that, that public financial finances are managed. And then the last part of it is the creativity. I think uh, given the challenges that we are facing, that innovation uh, is something that is very key to take us forward. And I think this is also a big challenge that we, um, we, we, we are confronted with. Yeah, so, so if I understand you, 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 what you're saying is yes, it's a tall order and it's under the current circumstances, it's very difficult to tick all the boxes. But having said that, you see the challenges in two buckets. One in which uh, historically, the issues are largely outside of our control and they're driven by whatever you call the broken global system of imbalances. And then the second one is the space in which we have control uh, and, and can to some degree have impact, including the third one, which is the creativity. Tell me, I mean, it sounds like an African elephant to use the metaphor and, and one doesn't eat the elephant at a go. When you think of these three, where, where are we likely to succeed? Uh, and, and where should we start as an entry point in trying to deal with what we know includes problems beyond our control? Yeah, um, I think for me, like I said, this is all about, when you talk about public financial management, the, it's about the whole value chain of service provision um, and uh, making sure that the, those that are marginalized, uh, the marginalized group in society, are catered for with a proper social safety nets. So the starting point is about food. Do we have food sovereignty in Africa? We are producing, for instance, um, 
uh, cash, cash crops for export to uh, develop the countries. It could be flowers, it could be fruits and so forth. Um, but at the same time, we lack capacity to grow our own staple food. Um, we import rice, we import uh, wheat. So the war in Russia, in the war between Russia and Ukraine, um, for instance, has disrupted um, the, the global supply chains, spike in food, fertilizers, and so forth. So it's about getting it right in terms of how do we manage our public finances in a manner that ensures food sovereignty on the continent. I think mm -hmm. that's for me is very very important. Yes. Secondly, um, the, the, the 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 I know security. We always think about military um, investments, and most most African governments they invest heavily in terms of the military. Uh, but we need now to understand that uh, food is part of security. The climate crisis is part of security. How then do we broaden our understanding and reconfigure our public finance system so that they do not um, uh, spend a lot on weapons, uh, on military budgets, instead to focus on what really matters. I think that's, that's, that's quite important. Of course, we talk about energy. How do we ensure that we are also sustainable in, in, in terms of energy production to be able to fight poverty? The biggest elephant in the room um, is when it comes to public financial management is about fighting poverty and inequality, which, um, which, 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 which are derailing Africa's progress towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals and its own um, development agenda 2063. Mm. So, so basically what you're saying is that uh, in addition to mobilizing, managing the resources for impact, when you think of where we should really focus on is in this ability to feed our own people and to focus on those economic activities that reduce poverty rather than those uh, investments that lead to Africa continuously being a net exporter of things that are needed by others elsewhere, but have no bearing on our ability to achieve socioeconomic justice. L let me ask you, so if one thinks of finance as a broad field, what separates fundamentally public finance from other forms of finance? Yeah, so basically other forms of finance we are referring to, it could be at a personal level. We have um, financial decisions that will take place in terms of what to invest and how to finance that particular investment. It could be about buying a car, it could be about uh, a mortgage, uh, buying a house. Uh, basically, these are some of the things that we're involved with, our savings that we make, our retirement plans at a personal level. But we also have got a financial management done by corporates. And the, 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 the objective there principally is maximization of the shareholder value, maximization of wealth through market price per share, through the dividends that are declared to shareholders. But when it comes to public financial management, here we are talking about number one, making sure that we are um, targeting aggregate fiscal discipline how government raises its money, how government spends that money to ensure fiscal sustainability is quite important. Mm. Um, the, second important the second important issue there is about transparency and accountability. There is the public financial management is uh, in a way a true gauge for the scope of the social contract that exists between those that govern and those that are governed. So you expect uh, the bar for transparency and accountability to be higher 
uh, throughout the whole value chain of public financial management, making sure that there's access to information that is easily understood and that the public and parliament can hold better to account government. The allocative efficiency is very, is very important. Strategic priority areas, like in the case of Africa, we are talking about hunger being a big hunger and food security or nutritional uh, challenges that need to be addressed. The climate crisis, an example. How are we prioritizing our budgets to deal with the strategic priority issues is also another important matter. And then operational efficiency, looking at value for money is very, very, very important um, in that regard. So these are things that makes public financial so unique in the sense that it's also prescribed by the law, by the constitution. With other forms of finance, it's about your own choices. With other forms of finance, they are more computational. You do a lot of calculations, but with public finance, you are more discursive, you are more inclusive, you are making sure that the different um, spread of interest from different stakeholders are all catered for. Unlike when you talk about personal and, and, and corporate financial management, where the spread of, of stakeholders is limited. Mm. So you've uh, referenced uh, quite extensively the, the role of transparency uh, and the importance of uh, accountability. You haven't said much about the third leg of governance, which is public participation. How do we factor public participation in the space of uh, public finance, especially with a view to achieving socioeconomic uh, justice? So uh, to, to, to factor in public participation, is just to understand that within the whole value chain of service delivery, from formulation of development policies, because public financial management is not a standalone tool, its role is to support the nation to achieve its development priorities. So when it comes to the planning um, of the, uh, the, the national development plans, we expect people input to be accommodated within those plans. When it comes to the formulation of the budget itself, pre-budget consultations, budget hearings, and, any other, and, and other tools that are also important to be more inclusive uh, in how we, we, we government can get input from, from, from the public is quite important. And then making sure that there's openness because participation cannot come without openness. Uh, it's also very, very, very important. Uh, so I think that's, that's, that's quite fundamental to ensure that at least um, there is feedback loop that uh, even when we talk about budget consultation, after the execution of the budget, you talk about the budget review, what's working, what's not working. Communication becomes uh, the lifeblood of public participation and ensure that social accountability structures throughout the public financial value chain are maintained, like I said earlier on public hearings, it could be about public expenditure tracking surveys, citizens holding government to account in which money is being displaced to ensure that there are no leakages along the way and also in a timely manner. It could be also about um, um, citizen scorecards, how performance can be evaluated uh, to ensure that this is part of uh, the broader performance of uh, a broader performance evaluation of um, government institutions that are responsive, um, that, 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 that really interact with the people. So I think those are quite fundamental issues to follow. So when one, I mean, it's one thing, isn't it, to say public uh, participation. I mean, when we think of the space, particularly of public finance, 
what manner do you envision public participation uh, taking in order to be effective? Is it uh, at the very beginning, the foundation of policies uh, on resource mobilization, expenditure and impact, or uh, is there a particular space in that value chain of public finance where you deem the voice of the public to be absolutely crucial? I think it it, 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 it it matters throughout the whole value chain in terms of policy formulation, in terms of implementation, in terms of monitoring and um, reporting, in terms of the audit itself, uh, before, the audit, the evaluation. I think they, um, they, they, we, we need not to look at them in isolation, but how do we enhance that public uh, participation? I think there are some of the constitutional uh, tools that are in place for the public to hold um, the, the government more accountable. But generally, the executive government, they account, it accounts to the public through parliament. So making sure that we have got robust parliamentary systems that can be able to uh, play their effective oversight role is one important element of public participation. The element of public hearings, parliament also working with the general public to ensure that it, the, 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 the critical questions that people have are also filtered in terms of the uh, question and answer session during parliament or raising uh, important motions for accountability. Petitioning again to parliament is one uh, mechanism to uh, hold uh, government more accountable. And sometimes making sure that we don't just bite the bug, but having the bite through maybe strategic impact litigation when we work with civil society actors so that at least the government can be um, brought to order on, 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 on public participation. I think there's a case in Kenya as an example where Texas is need to work Africa um one uh, they, 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 they won a, a case in which um they challenged that the double taxation agreement was passed but uh, but uh, but that, that lopsided that double taxation agreement um when it was passed it did not follow the constitutional procedure of making sure that public consultations are done so, so there are some actions that government can do in privacy and civil society uh, can also help to bring more transparency in such in, in such cases and even accountability beyond just transparency. Yeah. So, so what you are saying is that, uh, sure, we have uh, the constitution. Uh, sure, we have the parliament and its responsibility to to account and and be the voice of people. But that, in the event that these institutions fail. Uh, one of the fallback positions is that civil society can insert itself and challenge not only their petition them and challenge their failure to be the voice of the public, but also even challenge certain pieces of legislation through the courts. Uh, that makes sense, but that assumes several things. One, that people know that they have these rights. Two, that they have the resources to challenge. How do we achieve that in, in a place in which the president is de facto the god and everybody else follows including in some cases mps yeah it's, it's really difficult like i said this is part of um the social contract between those that govern and those that are governed making sure that there is transparency and accountability and sometimes power does not concede unless people 
demand. So it's a real struggle. As Africans, we have a long history from fighting slavery, from fighting colonialism, and we are here with this scourge of authoritarianism that we are fighting also, the undemocratic forces. But we have to be resolute. Solidarity is quite important, never giving up, and, 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 and sometimes you pay the cost for it. Um, and, and we should be able to do that. Uh, I think, let, let us keep fighting, we cannot give up, we cannot give up. Uh, so utilize the spaces that we can have, um, even at local level, at national level, at, um, at, 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 at sub-regional level. We need also other African countries to be able to uh, encourage each other to seek the light, to seek the light when it comes to um, transparency, accountability, preserving that social contract. Um, I think that's that's what I can say on that. It's a very pretty difficult question, Ashley. I must say, yeah. Sure, but to your point, the fact that things are difficult doesn't mean they ought to be left that way. They just mean that uh, the process might uh, require more resilience, take more time, require more resources. But it's no excuse uh, to not do anything about them. I want to go back to an earlier comment you made about. This, this structurally broken global system. Uh, it made me think of the role of development finance institutions uh, and, and public finance specifically uh, is one of the things that uh, is, 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 I guess, championed uh, correctly or incorrectly by say development finance institutions that come and provide advice to African governments. In your view, how helpful is this or not helpful given the broken nature of the global system? Yeah, I, I, I don't think this, this uh, works for Africa. Like uh, President Ruto uh, illustrated, um, the financing costs for developed countries uh, is ranges between uh, uh, zero point, 0.1, uh, 0.1 to 0.5, but uh, when it comes to developing countries, it's nearly 100, 100 times more. Uh, you are talking about uh, either you are talking about 10 at, at, at 10 percent or 15 percent. Kenya pays a euro bond for 15 for for for, for uh, 10 percent. Um, you have got Ghana, I think, is closer to 20 percent. So you can see the creaming of value that much is invested in Africa, but then in terms of returns, who is benefiting from this bondage? And it's a bondage that is also linked to the policy influencing by these uh, international financial institutions to say, for you to get further bailout, you have to make uh, your, your policy reforms, privatization, the liberalization agenda is part of it. Uh, make, allowing a free movement of capital and everything, overly generous tax incentives, um, so this becomes focusing on export generation. You are not worried about what are really your needs, your sovereign interests are then disregarded for in the name of a global agenda to provide um, secure raw materials, supply chains. So I, I don't think that 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 is working. We have, we know for sure that um, multinational corporations through aggressive tax planning, no matter how efficient or effective you want to tighten your tax laws at domestic levels. But other countries, yeah, you're the US, for instance, 
uh, other tech servants, it could be um, Switzerland and so forth, they can have some incentives that, that makes it easier for multinational corporations to decide where to allocate profit, even though they are, that has got nothing to do with economic substance. As a result, we have got a, a paradox of resource-rich Africa, but are we getting a fair share because profits are not paid where economic activities are linked to in a, in, 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 in a commensurate manner? So you see the problem in, in two ways. One, the role of development finance institutions and also the global uh, tax uh, systems uh, which enable multinationals to shop around and, and locate uh, their, if you wish, uh, tax payments in areas not where they generate uh, finance, but in countries where it's more efficient for them to pay tax because the tax is, is, is not so high. Uh, what I know is this, that to your point, the object of multinationals generally is to uh, be what they call tax efficient. Uh, in other words, avoid, reduce as much of the tax they have to pay without necessarily breaking the law. This is very universal, whether one is in Africa or in the United States. We see governments trying to take multinationals uh, to court for this. Do you think the problem is more acute in Africa or do you think the order of magnitude of uh, the loss of public revenue is higher? Yeah, so, so fundamentally, I think number one, uh, African economies uh, largely rely on the natural resources. And when you talk about natural resources, we are talking about uh, an economic activity that is extracted by nature. Where, where the bar for uh, equitable benefit sharing, unlike other forms of multinational corporations, becomes a bit higher. So that's why uh, this becomes a big issue. But globally, the challenges are being felt. And that's why there is that strong move now towards the um, reform of the uh, uh, global tax system. But of course, OECD, the exclusive club of the rich, trying to push their own agenda to protect their interests. But with African countries saying, led by Nigeria, let's take this to the UN last year in November, a UN resolution for a tax UN leadership on tax matters was passed. So uh, basically, it's a, it's a global phenomenon. But because of the weight of developmental challenges that the global South, particularly Africa, is facing, this becomes, in terms of uh, impact, uh, very disproportionate, I would say, like to say, yeah. Yeah. that most multinational corporations are headquartered in the in, in the in the in, in the global north rather than in Africa except for maybe slightly South Africa uh, it would be also Nigeria but largely the multinational corporations are not headquartered here and that makes that claiming of value very um much a bigger problem for for for, for us yeah I think I think the 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 two uh, important points you make is one that uh many of Africa's uh, economies depend on extractives. And so not just is it a problem uh, because it, it, the extractives, it's a fly-in, fly-out industry in that you're extracting, you, you, you move the resource elsewhere and, and, and for most part, repatriate. Uh, it's, it's not a permanent uh, boots on the ground. But the other is the impact because the to the extent that the economies are largely dependent on uh, uh, extractives, 
if in effect tax collection is not efficient, then by definition, uh, the entire public finance uh, and to the extent that it relies on extractives is affected. I, I should ask you, I mean, what is the answer? Is the answer the current initiative at the UN or is the answer perhaps the original suggestion that we must focus on food production rather than export oriented uh, industries? Yeah, I think we need to look at our sovereign uh, risks and interests and manage them better. What is it that works for us? For us? Yes, we can talk about diamonds, we can talk about gold, we can talk about platinum, but we also must focus on um, development minerals, for instance. What is the cost of cement? What is the cost of steel? Are we de-risking this critical infrastructure uh, development uh, materials so that at least it's easier for someone to own a home? It's easier for somebody, for instance, uh, through um, uh, fertilizers that are derived from, from mining activities to have cheap cost fertilizers and, and improve food security. So, so broadly, I think we need to um, a, a, not just look at reform, but understand that this, this system is deformed. How then do we retreat and look at our interests first? Um, and, 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 and also collectively as Africa, we can't we can't do it before fragmented in the manner that the Berlin Conference um, left these borders that we are still using, so that at least we take care of our interests first. We are seeing the likes of China fighting right now the fight between China and 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 and, and, and the U.S. the geopolitical fragmentation, and they are even extending not beyond technological chips but even to food chips like your GMOs and, and, and patenting some of the issues there. So Africa, I think our interests, let us worry about food first, because without food, that's why even in the Lord's Prayer, I'm not a Christian, but I like this point to say, give us this day our daily bread, because if you don't have food, no matter even Jesus, when he performed a miracle, he had to make sure that you can't preach when people are, 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 are having an empty stomach. So it's very important that we, 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 we go to these fundamentals that look at our interests first mm. and then project those interests globally rather than to try to do the other way around, to still maintain the extractive economies that were established by the colonial uh, architecture. Sure. So here's my last question to you. Uh, to be fair, everything you say uh, makes common sense to me, details notwithstanding, least of which is the importance of not being driven from outside as a country or a continent and determining what the priorities are and not calling minerals critical because they are critical to somebody else and not asking yourself what makes them critical to me uh, and just running with the, uh, if you wish, as a cheerleader and saying, yes, uh, copper is critical. The question really that I want to ask you is, are we perhaps setting ourselves up for a fall, thinking that we can combine a continent from Cape Town to Alexandria and have uh, a common point of departure, one that can bring people together to think the same way based on the same interest? Is that not part of the problem? 
generally when I say, uh, when I look at this, I want to refer to a mathematical view of things. Yes, we are improper fractions, different languages, different cultures, different histories, and so forth. But there is a common denominator. Uh, that lowest common factor is what we should pursue. Uh, it makes sense, number one, to use your numbers, to work together, to fight a common challenge. So this is what is binding us together as Africans. It's not only the geography part of it, but it's, a, it's, it's our history, it's our fate. Uh, that uh, yes, Zambia, Botswana, no matter what you do, you can't live behind Zimbabwe because we have got uh, the risks that are also collaterally spared. And but also understanding that some of the regions, uh, Sheila, and these boundaries that you are speaking of, they are not of our own. I know the, 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 the Tswana people on the other side of Zimbabwe and on the other side of Botswana. I know the South African, the Venda on the other side, the other side of Zimbabwe, the other side of South Africa. I know the Tonga again, the other, the other side of Zambia, and on the other side of Zimbabwe, just separated by these unfair geographical boundaries. Look at Zimbabwe and Mozambique, that long border that they share, and the people on the other side, the other side are very related. So it's also about understanding that we some of the regions are very interconnected uh, and how do you leverage that absolutely well i have enjoyed our conversation and i do hope that uh, as uh, the sheila Kama extracted podcast identifies similar uh, topics especially in the broad area of socioeconomic justice that you will be available to join us and share your perspective thank you very much for your time and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Uh, you're welcome, Karibu Sheila. It's a big pleasure to finally be able to have this conversation with you. And my parting shot is, if we can't grow value from our resources, if we can't, that value is about us. And I, I'm, I'm sorry I'm saying this lastly, that I always refer to Botswana's case to say, Pula is not is named after the greatest resource Botswana is, and that's not diamond but the rain and this is what it means to us africa and we talk about climate change it's vagaries then you understand how risky it is for food production and and, and the life the connection with the planet thank you